0: Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground, putting sustainability into action in their communities. Hello, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and really excited today to have another one of my APWA Center for Sustainability colleagues joining us. We've got Matt Rodriguez, who is the city traffic engineer for Eugene, Oregon. Welcome, Matt.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kim. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you for taking the time. So, I mean, of course, a lot of folks know Eugene from the University of Oregon and the Ducks. Uh, Of course, I spent a semester at... OSU, we were the Beavers over at Oregon State. <laughs> but Eugene's an is an amazing city and so I know sustainability is something that is runs kind of deep there. So, but let's talk about just your role with the city as the official traffic engineer and kind of your your role with sustainability in general in the city.
1: Sure. So, um I'm fairly new to being the traffic engineer. I was uh, kind of the interim traffic engineer for a year, and then just took that position officially uh, last week, actually. Prior to that, I managed one of our two capital project teams in public works engineering. So we were the teams that designed and did construction management for streets and waterways and you know, stormwater systems and wastewater systems. So a lot of my experience has actually been through that nexus of how we build infrastructure, Um, And especially how we plan to build our infrastructure to support a comprehensive plan update we have going on right now called Envision Eugene that is really focusing on densification uh, in our downtown area and along major transit corridors. And then the system plans like the transportation system plan or the wastewater system plan that go along with your comprehensive plan updates. So we have a number of planning processes uh, at that system plan level that are happening in conjunction with a comprehensive plan. And then even other plans like what do our streets look like and a Vision Zero uh, action plan to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the city that are all kind of happening at the same time.
0: That's great. And do each of those have kind of a theme of sustainability, each of those planning efforts?
1: Yeah, so they all are really tied to sustainability. The city adopted a a sustainability intent. It was a council resolution in 2000. And then in uh, 2014, we adopted a climate recovery ordinance. Um, And that's a a pretty ambitious plan to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, not only from city operations, but community-wide. And there are four parts of that. Uh, the first is that all city facilities and operations will be carbon neutral by 2020, either through operational reductions, or uh, which can pair with um, uh, offsets, purchasing offsets. Mm-hmm. Then we also have a city goal to reduce our fossil fuel use by 50% by 2030, um, a similar goal for the community. And then the piece we just added to amend the CRO is um, probably even the most ambitious, which is to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions 7.6% a year so that we are in line with um, the 350 parts per million goal. If if we reduce it 7.6% a year, it will basically make Eugene's contribution of emissions in line with a global 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere goal.
0: Wow, that's
1: and and that is in, and that's a little yeah, that's a little loaded, as you probably know, because we're actually past 350 parts per million. So that that target actually um, assumes some uh, sequestration of carbon to get back down to 350 as well. So pretty ambitious goals, and we're we're really um, in the middle of working through how that, that nexus to our plans work. So it's something we're aware of, but, you know, there's a lot of work to do to try and figure out how to uh, create plans that actually achieve that goal.
0: And, you know, it's, it's interesting because that, that is a, an aggressive goal. Um, Is this something that is, I mean, do you have counterparts in Oregon that also have a similar climate recovery ordinance? Are there, is there another best practice city that you were, Kind of mimicking on this because I mean, I, I know I've got a lot of local governments that I work with that do have the carbon neutrality goals, although not mm-hmm. by 2020. Um, so that in itself is impressive. But this whole focus on the 350 parts per million, um, which is really where, what we know we need to be at, was th- what mm-hmm. was kind of the impetus behind that? Was it, you know, following best practices? Was it city leadership, community?
1: It was, I think it's really uh, community-driven. I don't know if you've heard of Our Children's Trust, but it's the group that's brought a lawsuit. Um, Mm -hmm. We had one to the state. I think there might even be a federal lawsuit, or at least a lawsuit in each state, about the failure of government to regulate emissions and basically provide a future for children. You know, Um, so that group is in Eugene. So they were very involved with the process with council. I don't know of another um, ordinance that is like this. I think we were kind of on the, the cutting edge with this. and You know, Portland obviously has some pretty ag- aggressive um, greenhouse gas reduction goals, but I don't think they really tie it to the 350 parts per million goal like we do.
0: Yeah, no, I, I for sure. I mean – For sure, folks know Portland um, in this area. But, yeah, I don't believe that they've tied it to the 350 either. So that's very interesting. So now it's – I I love talking with you because it's – I feel like I'm talking with a sustainability director or, uh, you know, a planner who might be leading sustainability in their community. I mean, you are an engineer, um, which is awesome. And I know you, you think about this stuff a lot. You know, what are some of the challenges that you see, you know, Both the challenges you see, but then also I want to understand how you're working with your planning department. Uh, You talked about Envision Eugene and these other plans. But I'm curious to understand both that. What does that relationship look like? And then what are the challenges you're seeing kind of on the implementation side?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, So, when the Climate Recovery Ordinance passed, there's some very specific language about coming up with plans for the, you know, the, the city plan to be carbon neutral by 2020 and reduce fossil fuel emissions and then the community plan. So, the first part that we really started working on was the city carbon neutrality. So, we had an internal team called our core climate team, and there were two Public Works members. I was one of those. So, I helped put that plan together. Um, we do have dedicated sustainability staff, although um, they're actually in the process of hiring right now. We had a, a bit of turnover. But um, Public Works is pretty active in that discussion, and I, I think a lot of that has come from our leadership, that we really want to be driving the conversation, not following it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, we, We've had this ethic of sustainability. We're really conscientious about our construction projects and using high levels of recycled material, um, you know, using warm-mixed asphalt, things that reduce carbon emissions and also um, have better uh, health outcomes for workers using products. We use, you know, um, substitutes for, for Portland cement, things like that. So we've always been really conscious of that in public works, but when we start to move into these larger planning efforts, it's, it's really a whole other level of complexity. So you know, with our comprehensive plan update, you know, I, I, there's a realization obviously that dense development and development along transit corridors is going to allow a lot uh, uh, better choices for how people get around other than single, single occupancy vehicles. You know, um, we have a pretty uh, substantial uh, bike system right now. We're trying to improve on that. Um, it, mirrors a lot of those same corridors. So there's really a nexus to active transportation, frequent transit service, and then walkable areas. So that's all kind of built into the comprehensive plan. And and of course, that relates to our transportation system plan. And our transportation system plan uh, has a goal of tripling walking, biking, and transit use by 2035, which is also very aggressive. one thing that's kind of interesting when you're looking at how do you make um, investment decisions and in your plans in order to meet this climate recovery ordinance, it, it really, uh, unfortunately, um, as far as I've seen, there, we have a gap in tools. So it's really how do you, uh, how do you create a complete network And you think, you know, if you you create a complete network, it'll be um, more desirable for people to use. If you have a low-stress bicycle network, that's, well, you know, has good connectivity, it it will draw people to bike. But the thing that's really missing in the whole analysis is if I build this piece of infrastructure, it will alter people's behavior by this much. And we're missing that. So there is a little bit of a disconnect between the projects that we choose to go in the transportation system plan and what the ultimate outcome will be as far as uh, greenhouse gas reduction. We are able to know through – we we did something called scenario planning uh, in our metropolitan planning area here that if we do hit these targets, you know, if you triple walking, triple biking, triple chance, it's actually not exactly that, but we we can – um, model that if you do those things, you'll reduce emissions and reduce fossil fuel use by this much, but we still can't tell which projects actually cause that change to happen. Mm. Um, and, and, and then, of course, you know, we've got the transportation system plan. Uh, under that, we're working on our street design standards. So, what do our streets look like? How do we integrate traffic calming on them to make them more? Pedestrian and bicycle friendly, um, which again then moves over to our Vision Zero action plan, and, and how do we make safe streets that everyone can use? So they're all really interrelated.
0: I love that you mentioned the whole behavior change issue because you know that's something that I and you know through KLA and in my sustainability dashboard, it's it's been a real focus, and I kind of had my. You know I've been working in this field for 16 years, but had this like eye-opening moment uh, maybe a year and a half ago when I was building uh, my first dashboard for San Antonio, Texas. And it was like, you know there's this whole, of course, this push we want to be transparent with our community members. We want to share the information, we want them to know what we're doing. We want to be accountable to the tax dollars. Um, and so we take a bunch of data and throw it on a website. <laughs> we're like, look, we're being transparent and but ultimately I think we, we're looking at these things wrong. It's yes, we were trying to be transparent, but what we're trying to do is give them information and knowledge, and then we need to create these enabling environments that ultimately lead to the behavior change because differently than so many other issues that you know we've dealt with in the past. When we're talking about creating a sustainable community, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we literally need every person to do their part. And people aren't gonna just do that if there's not some way that A, they're educated on it, and then B, it's made easy for them, and then C, that that message is pumped out to them multiple times so that they're constantly seeing, oh, yeah. I do need to see a recycling bin on every corner because that's how I'm going to be reminded not to litter or not to throw, you know, my aluminum can in the trash when I know it can be recycled. But I think we forget that a lot. We talk about it, you know, when we talk about communication and engagement. But when we're actually trying to implement and engage, we forget that this isn't just, hey, let's have a meeting at City Hall and get your input. Um, on this planning process it has to be so much more than that and i mean that's the platform my dashboard is trying to push out there but i feel like you know i love that you mentioned the whole behavior change thing because that's huge and if we were able to quantify which projects could get us there faster obviously we could be way more efficient in what we're doing
1: sure and you know it's um it's always a challenge, too. You talked about, you know, really having a, a, a meaningful communication to someone. Um, when we do these high-level planning documents, the comprehensive plan and the transportation system plan, often what we find is, you know, you get, get participation from people in the community that are invested in, in that type of work or uh, excited or maybe even already educated on you know, planning and transportation systems, but it's really hard to get the folks that are really just trying to get through their everyday lives. And what happens is we come up with these plans and we've had some examples of where we come up with um, a comprehensive plan or a way to densify some areas. And in fact, it it may even be a plan to go into an area that already has high density requirements, but it's not built that way now. Mm -hmm. And we want to make it, more livable, so have you know, um, kind of a stair step building design, so you don't have a ten story building right next to a single family home, things like that. And what we've what we've run into, at least in one occasion, is that once it becomes real, once you're talking to someone about a change in their neighborhood or their corridor, then they're paying attention and taking notice, and they're not always um, you know appreciative and and uh, supportive. So.
0: Yeah. Trying to
1: get people engaged at these high-level decisions um, is is important, but it's, it's really a challenge. It's really hard to get them to engage until it's something that is really meaningful to them. And then trying to convey, well, the reasons we're doing this is because we're trying to build a community that has more transportation choices, uses less fuel, has less emissions. Um you know that the, that conversation—it's hard because it's not tangible today. You know that's the whole trick, of course, with green, um, with global uh, or climate change, rather. Sorry, is that it's it's not felt by everyone today. It's mm-hmm. definitely felt by, some, um, but it's it's hard to get an urgency on action today for something that's going to be a potential, you know, catastrophe in the future. That's so we're, we're still really trying to work through that issue. And it sounds like maybe your dashboard is, isn't, you know, a, a tool that, that can help with that communication.
0: Yeah, we should definitely talk after this. <laughs> 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 no, but you're right. And I think in general, you know, I, I'm i a scientist and a planner um, by education and by training, too, I guess. But, you know, one of the things that always drives me crazy is we try to go out and, and talk to people about 2050. You know, you're like, Phew. The majority of people they can't see past two minutes from now, let alone you know twenty, fifty, like so many years down yeah. the li- the line. And I think you are right; it is about kind of making things relevant and specific to them. And I think your engagement needs to do the same. You know, I, I I've been in the consulting world, and we're always talking about oh, we're going to do go to them meetings, which I love the whole idea of, but go to them. You know, they're sometimes they're already going to. You know, maybe you are going to a. Uh, um, I don't know, a meeting of a in a church or that already happens or a rotary meeting or something. But, you know, go to them also means, hey, why don't you ride the bus all day? You know, for those people that are working yeah. multiple jobs and I don't have time to go to meetings. Like, you know, these are things that we've done. Stoop surveys, just walking along the street. Hey, you're just sitting on your steps. Let me talk to you. Um, you know, I think it's really hard to reach out to those kind of non-traditionally engaged stakeholders. Sure. Um, but their input into the process, the planning process, is so important, as you said, because when it comes to implementation, now it's real to them, and they might not be actually feeling the same way that this is the right way to go. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, I agree with you. I think um, anytime I've been able to have a one-on-one conversation with someone, it's a much different than a public meeting. You know, ha- having that ability—you know—it's challenging to have those, but it's it's so much easier to kind of get past. Um, kind of the you know fears and worst outcomes people are thinking may happen. If you can really say, "Hey, this is really what, what it's about. This is our intent. Um, this is what we're trying to do," um, I think you get get a better response and, and more trust than the kind of uh, standard. Let's hold a public meeting, or even go to a neighborhood group or some other group where you know there's still only a portion of the population showing up because they have the ability to. Right. So exactly. I like I like your idea of riding the bus. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> we love riding
0: buses before. all day. <laughs> um. Well, and you know, kind of speaking about your your community. I mean, clearly, the University of Oregon is is one of your very large residents, yeah. and with that, you have a a fairly transient population. You know, what are there ways to engage with them? Like, what's the what's the relationship there? I mean, are they able to be part of your? planning or your sustainability efforts um, what's what's that like because that yeah, can't yeah. be easy well the University of Oregon
1: what's great um, about our relationship is they have a couple programs at the university that are you know pretty um, focused on sustainability uh, one they actually have a sustainable cities initiative which is kind of embedding students in a city government for a period of time to help with a project and Funny enough, Eugene hasn't done that with them yet, but they've, they've done it around the state to great success. They also have a you know, planning and, and public policy um, program that we collaborate with a lot and a sustainable transportation class that we collaborate uh, with a lot. There's a group they have, a student group called Live Move, for instance, when talking about transportation that brings in noted speakers about uh, transportation here regionally. And uh, which the staff usually get to talk to them for an hour, and then there's a community meeting where that that expert will talk, and it's it's great to collaborate a discussion with with the community and the students and these experts. Uh, with they're also talking with city staff. That group Live Move also um, has done a couple design studios where they've helped us come up with concepts for new transportation improvements, like two-way protected bike lanes on, you know, sections of the street. So we actually have a pretty robust, I think, interaction um, as far as transportation with the university. Uh, And we also work with that planning and public policy group to come up with project ideas for them to, you know, which can help the city and also have them learn more about, kind of sustainable development. So we do try to do that. As far as, like, reaching the general student population, I think that's much more challenging. You know, it's, it's a fairly large university, um, and we, we struggle in general with trying to get broad messages out to the student population. Um, but we do have these nice targeted interactions. And then, of course, you have, you talked about it being transient population. Uh, what's nice is that we do have these professors in these areas that are, You know, have been there for a long period of time, and they're kind of that that conduit that's consistent communication with the city, and they bring their students into that communication.
0: That's great. Yeah, it is. I mean, I know um, I did a, I talked with some of your colleagues um, last spring, I think, when I did my March Madness blog post. And yeah, just kind of uh, looking uh, at those opportunities uh, and challenges and, you know, you guys provide some really good input. I mean, it, it is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, right? Like you've got it, some absolutely. young people that you yeah. can help influence the behavior of when you think about it from that perspective, because it's a lot easier to influence the behavior of a 22-year-old than it is, a, you know, a 62-year-old.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. we're we're trying
1: to find more opportunities to be part of orientation as well, so that when oh, kids pretty, come yeah. to Eugene, we can you know tell them a little bit about how to get around, that they don't really need a car, how they can participate, you know. So we we haven't gotten there yet, but that that's been a goal we're working on.
0: Very cool. Um, so I think my last question for you, because I want to be mindful of time, and I know we've, we've kind of gone on a couple tangents, but this has been a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, we've got a new administration that's in like seven weeks or something now. Um, you know, clearly, Eugene has been a leader on climate change, um, climate recovery, um, but climate change action, sustainability in action. Um, are you, is there any anticipation um, that you guys have, are you, or is there... Um, do you see opportunities or challenges with a new administration coming in and particularly this president who has been making it quite clear um, you know that he's really not much of a believer in climate change um, you know are you anticipating any challenges with what you're already doing
1: um you know I, I think I think this yeah I think the city's pretty set in our direction I think um, the, the At the federal level, the administration, the real impact they can have is in how supportive or not they are of the work we're doing, and potentially, you know, in funding being a big part of it. So, you know, for me, I think it's, um, it's, um, you know, are there any changes to the federal funding we receive for transportation improvements or other work that could really change the implementation schedule of, of projects that we have that could be very impactful. Um, even statewide, I think Oregon um, is looking at even in this legislative session. I think they're considering whether or not there'd be a kind of a 350 goal. So right. um, outside of Eugene, I think that's getting there now. So it, it may be that you know really as a state we're we're all moving in alignment, but you know it, it it's 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 hard to say what the impact from from the federal government would be at this point
0: yeah it's pretty early well and you know on the flip side he's talked a lot about major investments in infrastructure and for sure we can all use Mm -hmm. that um has has there been any talk about at that point or is, is it still too early for that conversation too at the municipal level
1: yeah I mean I think um, I think we're, we're waiting to hear you know for us it's really about smart investments in, in infrastructure it's not about building new freeways or um, you know kind of continuing on the same more modern uh, you know transportation path you know we, we really want to see smart investments in improving transit and active transportation and it, it'll I guess what we'll see if, if that's what that means to them as far as infrastructure investment or not so uh, it's it's a bit of a waiting game
0: mm-hmm. awesome so uh, in closing Matt I wonder if you could share with our listeners you know a few tips what are you know hey we we're not as advanced as Eugene what can we do how can we get started what would you recommend for folks you know maybe someone in a similar position to you in public works um what would be, like, one or two tips that you would have for them, something they can kind of get started with right sure. away?
1: Well, I think um, actually going and visiting the uh, APWA Center for Sustainability Toolkit is a great idea because <laughs> there's a lot of great resources there. Fantastic um, and, idea. And, and case studies and even some case studies from the the city of Eugene on um, some of the work we're doing. Uh, for me, it's, you know, uh, beg, borrow, and steal, you don't have to make this stuff up. Um, it's okay if you want to. If you want to be out on the cutting edge and innovate, that's great. But, you know, call the agency uh, in your area who might be doing similar work. Uh, call the APWA Center for Sustainability and, and, and try to just build off of what others are doing. Because it, it always feels a little bit um, overwhelming when you take a first step. But if you can, you know be mentored and learn from what others are doing, it, it, it makes it a lot more comfortable and a lot easier to start implementing.
0: Those are great tips. And just so our listeners have it, the um, APWA Sustainability Toolkit is sustainabilitytoolkit.apwa.net. And that's open to anyone. You don't have to be a member of APWA. Uh, Matt, I think we need to double check that your climate recovery ordinance is up there. We might want more folks to uh, yes. That. Yeah, we, I don't think it is.
1: We could get that up there.
0: Let's get that up there quickly. And, you know, <laughs> again, this has been really great. I think these these are good tips. Beg, borrow, and steal. Um, I love that. <laughs> it's, you know, while, while our listeners, you know, someone might be kicking this off in their own community and might feel like they're very alone, they really aren't. And by leveraging the experience um, and, frankly, the successes and failures that cities across yeah, the North America have had over – really the last two plus decades at this point um is a great place to start do not try to reinvent the wheel just start looking around what see what others are doing so this has been great matt i really appreciate your time and uh, keep on making it happen and uh, eugene you guys are doing some awesome stuff appreciate your no, time
1: thank you thank you kim it's been my pleasure
0: all right everyone you get on out there and take some action in your community have a great day. This is Kim Lundgren signing off from Sass Talk. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sasstalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?